This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket, and have a seat. We are talking ice fishing. Welcome to Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. Kyle Agri here with Anthony Kleinwachter. We are your hosts and we are going to jump right in in this first segment of the podcast and welcome a friend of ours as a guest here, Mr. Steve Hansen of Marshall and Hansen Sales and Marketing Group. And, and as a group, uh, Steve represents uh, influential brands within the ice fishing world. Brands like Eskimo, Ion, Markham, Catch Cover, to name just a couple. And we're going to we're going to bring together maybe some of the products within those brands, but really we're going to talk on an overreaching subject of lithium battery technology and what lithium battery technology has done for the ice fishing world here over the last few years. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, fellas. This is always fun. We're uh, on the eve of our season really starting to take off. You know, we, uh, we know that last weekend, um, you know, in and around the time that we're talking now is a big kind of a milestone weekend. The first weekend of December always serves as kind of the unofficial official start to the ice fishing season. So we are jonesing to get on the lake and uh, I got a chance to get out on, on Sunday. I'm in the Brainerd Lakes area in Minnesota and uh, it was really a lot of fun to get out there. And I think we're going to see a lot of people enjoying our sport this weekend and, and weeks ahead. I myself got out too. I was really excited to get out. So it's good to hear that people are getting out, Kyle. I know uh, you're itching to get there too. I definitely am. Uh, and it won't be long. I think matter of days here. And we're going to be scratching that itch a little bit. Steve, um, before I interrupted Anthony, I was going to just ask a really quick question. Just yeah. for folks kind of to, to set a frame of reference, you're in central Minnesota. What were you seeing in, in terms of ice conditions? You bet. So we're kind of right in that um, five to seven inch range as far as ice thickness is right now. And uh, certainly that's on smaller lakes. Some of the areas that uh, um, even I kind of those medium sized lakes um, that you're maybe not ready to get a four wheeler on quite yet. Uh, however, the lake I was on wouldn't recommend this quite yet, but there was a four wheeler or two out there. And we certainly know that single axle trailers and wheelhouses are, are heading up on the Red Lake area. So it's really starting to kind of work their way down into where I am, but five to seven inches, it's it's safe, good walkable ice. As we always talk about this time of year, we can't say it enough times. Chisels, ice picks, flotation in your, in your outerwear if you have it. Those are all really good things that we want to pay attention to, but it's good ice and um, people are really enjoying it. It was fun and I always get, um, I don't know that it's ever going to go away. I don't hope it, I hope it never does, but um, it was really fun to be out there and uh, I'm lucky to do what I do and to get out there and do that and to just have that. Um, I was pumped to be out there. I, I love the, I love ice fishing and, and uh, it was great to be there and to see all those people out there doing it too. So it was good. Anthony, what did you see when you were out? Yeah, so we went up north of the Devil's Lake Basin. We were kind of that same five to seven inches. Um, there's something to be said about fishing, and it's still 30 to 40 degrees out. It's so nice to be out there. Um, you know, again, where we were fishing, there was active cracks. There was some open water in areas. So I think a lot of that stuff is starting to heal up, but uh, make sure to be careful if you're heading that direction. I know in the forecast, it looks like we're really going to start hitting some cold temps in the next coming week here. So that should seal things up, but 
you know, be careful where those areas might have been or those cracks because once they skim over, it's not going to be as much ice as, you know, the rest of the lake was. So that's a few, you know, things to be cautious of when you're heading out. Still be careful. Still check the ice depths and make sure you know where you're going. Great. I, I love this. I love this, too, because we instantaneously become meteorologists this time of year. All I've been a meteorologist all fall. I mean, I'm watching the <laughs> right. wind. I'm watching the forecast. Watching I, for those pressures. Absolutely, the the, the ten day. And I'll and I will say this. You know, we we have uh, had a chance to enjoy some some of these these temperatures that I think we all kind of wish were a little bit colder overall. But to know that we've got the types of condition conditions that we want out ahead of us uh, a number of days is obviously got got everybody in really good spirits and I think excited. So it's it's been. It's been really fun so far to the start of the season, and it's going to just going to keep progressing nicely, I think. So, Steve, it's great information, great information in terms of safety. We can always use that reminder. I think all of us need that reminder from time to time and, and would agree with your comment about enthusiasm and where we are in the season. Let's just yeah. jump right in here. Let's just talk about lithium batteries. Steve, you have seen, you, you've worked in the industry for a number of years. It's, it's your career. You are out. You see it from the manufacturer's side. You see it from the retailer's side. Give us maybe just a starting point here in terms of the last 10 years. You know, 10 years ago, lithium batteries, I don't know that that was a common word that we used in, in our ice fishing vocabulary. So just maybe just give us a little historical rundown of where we've come from. Well, there, there's been, I think, you know, three, I would say probably major, major milestone components of our sport, you know, come from its, from its real, from its infancy. Um, you know, if we look at the origination of the flip style shelter, you know, that's being celebrated this year. That's pretty cool. You know, that, that changed how mobility and comfort became a mainstay and we moved off of buckets and we, and we, in the sport became more comfortable you know, just, just like that, literally. And it, and it allowed people to really get out and enjoy this as opposed to being something that you, you, you do. And we saw that and all of a sudden the, the rods and the reels and all the tackle start to evolve. And then we got into what would be considered modern sonar, right? So modern sonar is, you know, what, you know, what tr- truly what, what Vexilar did in the early, in the early years and ultimately, you know, Markham and all these companies, you know, Markham, somebody that I, I work with, of course, but, you know, you, you need to look at how these, these categories have progressed and evolved over the years. So, you know, that's kind of number two as it relates to major changes in our sport that really became mainstay products that you wouldn't think about going fishing without. Okay. And in number, and number three came about 10 years ago and it was a, electric ice auger called an ion and that that was the advent really of of ion or lithium ion battery technology that proved as digital sonar did with the markham lx7 and prior to that all these progressions in our sport we know that getting through the ice is number one and doing it more efficiently number two and we moved ourselves kind of out of the the stone ages if you will into lithium technology that has always been batteries have always been challenged in the cold. We know that we still want to recommend that you keep those warm when you're, when you're moving around, but lightweight, uh, nice high power products that run the gear that we need, making it lighter and more comfortable was really number three in terms of major changes in our sport that really kind of forever changed it. And now we've seen all these amazing products 
spawn out of what lithium, um, we kind of proved that lithium could do for us. We're, you know, we've got, I mean, I've got a whole like evolutionary chart of lithium batteries over here. So there, there's the, there's the battery configuration that still exists today. So we've got folks out there that have original products from almost a decade ago where these batteries are still running and, and running beautifully. So we have a lighter weight option that runs longer over time that makes it easier and ultimately in, in a lot of ways more, more comfortable, right? Easier to run around with the 20, 20 pound thing than a 35 pound thing. No question about it. Right. And so now we've got, you know, we all run phones and we have GPS and all these other things. So now we've got accessories that, you know, this just happens to be a power adapter that, that ION has, it fits right on these. So now you're, I want to know how I can plug my phone into a, into a gas auger and, and run and run my electronics on that sucker. Right. Now you've got all of a sudden these interchangeable parts that make this thing be a tool other than just what it was primarily made for. So that makes it, and we've got power boxes, right? And all these am amazing things that come from that. So this was kind of number one, really, with the lithium deal. And those of us, I don't, but, you know, this is obviously, a, you know, that's a Milwaukee battery, but doesn't matter what type of battery it is. But now these drills have amazing lithium technology that run our augers, you know, a, a lighter weight version of what we started with, right? Just incredible, incredible stuff. Now you can use this for other things too. I can, I could uh, go out and blow the leaves off the driveway, perhaps. I don't know if that's as fun as drilling, but I could do that with this and drill a, a whole ice fishing. So that's cool. And then kind of the next evolution of that was it's all about longer run times, lighter weight, more efficiency. And the first product that did that was a product that we came up with at, at Markham called the Lithium Shuttle. And this brought lithium technology. There's a special special cell in here that now you've got a full system or any system that's out there. A 25-year-old system could be could be put on this and it made lighter, run longer, uh, all those things. So now we've got another tool that's progressed from augers. Now we take it into our electronics to, to make a, a more mobile solution out of something that we know worked well. But now you can cut the weight of something like this in almost half and run it for almost twice as long. And, and the batteries over the lifespan, we're talking years and years and years worth of, worth of use, is really great. And then as they continue to progress, you know, they found their way into, you know, some new stuff. So we've got direct replacement batteries now that come with all these sonar units and now they become, you know, half the weight, twice the runtime that fit in everything that we use. It's all about efficiency. And that's, what's been so great about every industry has its tinkerers. I don't think anybody does it like ice fishing people. You know, it, it's just, you see so many new things every year. It's just like a, it's like literally the, you know, what's under the, you know, what's under the tree or whatever, you know, whatever your, your, the, the, your best birthday present you ever got. It seems like you get those every year in the ice fishing in the ice fishing industry. And, and of course, all the under, a lot of the underwater cameras now are utilizing lithium technology and we can recharge those and, and we can take them with us. So I don't know, I, I just, um, it's amazing how that technology that started really a decade ago, roughly in the, on the electric ice auger side has progressed and it's just made us uh, more mobile. And that's really what it is. And ironically enough, being more mobile is a big part of our sport, but we've also seen these things you know, go in the wheelhouses, right? 
And that's all about comfort and, and mobility too. You can, you can raise up and move a 20 foot house essentially as quick as you want to go. So it, it's really been incredible. So for me, lithium really has become the, the third major category change in that technology to essentially it's become something that you really don't want to be without, you know, especially if you're in the ice fishing industry. And I think it's interesting to see, I mean, one of the things that made me a believer in it was when you could see somebody with a battery pack, you know, this big jumpstart a vehicle. And now you see guys running lithium batteries in their boats. I mean, the fact of the progression, I mean, you know, where's it going to go? They just continue to get more powerful. They get smaller, like you said, lighter. Um, it's just crazy to see the progression of, of those lithium batteries. I mean, who would have thought, you know, that you'd be able to jumpstart your car with a little battery pack. Exactly. And, and we know that as, as a, a new um, kind of subcategory, if you will, starts to get, you know, we always have like that early adopter phase. We talk about people that are willing to accept new technologies when they first come out and there's going to be, you know, a handful of trials and tribulations, if you will, that goes along with something being entirely new. The interesting thing about that is there really wasn't any of that at all in the, in the early years you know, with the ion auger. And I think a lot of the success that can be attributed to the industry as a whole, particularly in the auger category came because of the success that that had. And that was battery driven. The battery didn't work or really hold up to what everybody was kind of on bated breath waiting to find out, is this battery really going to be able to, to allow me to drill the same number of holes or all these things. Then it, then it becomes mainstay. And once it is, then there's an education component that goes along with, you know, with us as industry people to say it uses a different type of charger. You know, there's different chemistries that exist in, inside these battery solutions that you really have to pay attention to that are better for cold weather performance. And we're kind of in that phase right now, particularly in the direct replacement size and shape that typically have been a sealed lead acid product that now are lithium. And, you know, it's kind of our responsibility to make sure that number one, we want people to have a great experience with whatever they use, but you know, it's our job to, to educate them. And it's, and it's also given us another opportunity to, you know, let people know what kind of the strengths and differences are about why they should be using a certain type of product. And, you know, when you, when you're involved and you get to talk to people and you kind of sell things for a living or at least be involved in that process, um, that's fun when you kind of see the light bulb go on like I didn't know that could do that or that was even an option or whatever. So that's been a lot of fun in these last you know couple of years in particular as the, as the electronics battery portion of this evolution has really started to explode, really kind of uh, spawned by what um, you know, Markham did with the lithium shuttle, making that technology believable. I can set this cold thing on the ice and knowing that lithium batteries or batteries in general drain quickly when they're subject to cold, like our phones are, for instance, you set them outside for a while, they automatically shut off. So what's going on inside of these cells and what our industry's done to make them work really well is pretty cool. And uh, so that's, that's been kind of fun too, to just see how people now believe it. And we're seeing kind of the, the fruits, if you will, of, of people accepting this as, as technology they want to use. You know, I can remember back when, when the ION was brand new. You talk about, oh, it's been almost a decade. They've, they've got yep. an established quite a track record. But I remember the talk back then, you know, Steve, and it was it was people who were out, you know, using <laughs> using traditional 
gas and, and propane augers and, and have just grasped onto that because that's what they grew up with, right? That's what they cut their teeth on. And they looked at the ion and, and you heard, yeah, well, that's a neat little auger and I'm sure it'd be great for early ice and, you know, when it's not very cold and da-da-da-da-da, right? And then, and I know, think you, how that went is see people looked at us like we were from Mars well, when we right? had one. <laughs> they did. It green. It's, and it's green. It's green. But what was really neat is watching over those years that followed. And we've gotten to a point now where, where the last five years, people are using them regularly, depending on them, and, and having full confidence on places like Lake Winnipeg, like Lake of the Woods, like, like Mille Lacs, where you potentially are cutting through four feet of ice, maybe even more. And they're performing as advertised and, and delivering on that on a regular basis. Well, it's that, and it, it's... Um... The, it was funny because you go from, okay, this thing comes with an extension. Am I ever going to like be able to even use it? Right. And then you, and then the first, whoever, whoever they were used it and it, and we know that it worked in the course, then, then the best, the best form of marketing ever is, is us telling our friends about how, how something works good for us. Right. And uh, that's where really that, that came from. And all of a sudden we see, you know, 24 inch extensions on electric augers and it's, a, it's not even a thing. And now we've gotten to the point in, in full circle when you hear the, when you hear the, the recoil go and everybody's head whips around, like, like, what is that? Right. So we, we've kind of, and there's still plenty of, plenty of, uh, of gas and propane augers out there. And it's yeah. definitely a part of our business. And, and I think, uh, you know, we'll be for a while, but it's definitely the, the flip, if you will, has been, has been made in terms of, you know, everybody understands, you know, what the, what the electric auger thing is. And, and we are talking about lithium or battery technology in particular, but that, that right there is really the catalyst for the success of that product. And, and really a lot of the other ones that have come after it. And it's so. funny you talk about the, the augers and listening to someone with a gas or a propane auger. I remember the first time I used an electric auger and I started drilling and I, I couldn't believe listening to the sound that the ice made as it was being cut. Like you could actually hear that. I mean, it was something that I'll, I'm probably never going to forget is the first time that I used that. And it's just amazing the benefits that, you know, battery technology can offer. I mean, there are, as you mentioned, some drawbacks. I mean, if you're going back in the bush or way up somewhere where you can't charge a battery, obviously there's a time and a place for gas or propane, um, you know, based on the limitations of being able to charge a battery. But I would say for most of my applications, that's, you know, I'm grabbing a battery powered auger, whether it's an ion, a pistol or, or another type of drill like that. Yeah, they absolutely. They, they talk about the sounds that um, like you hear a certain sound and it has like this rewarding quality. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, or some, something you watch and it just, there's just something good about it. It's like getting your hockey skate sharpened you take the first rip around on a, on a, on a solid edge, or you make that first stop, you know, when you get, that's the sound that you get. And when you get that, whatever that is, you know, when you get to hear that, it's like, that's cool. It is. <laughs> I, li I like that sound. That's a good sound. And you're right. That's definitely a thing where like you, you don't pay attention to that until you can actually hear that and uh, hear the ice cutting, cutting underneath you. It is, it is kind of a, it's something that you don't expect, but it's all of a sudden, yeah, that's a sound I don't know that I've really ever heard before. 
when you couldn't hear it, you know, obviously behind the, behind the, the, the motor running. Right. So yeah, it's, that's uh, it, it's really fun to be, we say this every year, how, do, how is the wheel going to get, you know, reimagined per se, the, the, the cliche that is that, and we all work to strive to do that. If we, we work with whatever company in whatever industry it is, we know that new products are always something that are exciting. That was a pretty exciting time with, like I said, the major milestones as the shelters progressed, um, we, electronics or modern day electronics and what those have become today and really the, the lithium battery technology and what that's done for so many other things that have come from, from that being accepted and adopted have, has been pretty, pretty amazing. So it's Steve, a fun sport. Just, I wanted to, to just maybe dig a, a little bit deeper before we wrap things up here and in terms yeah. of our listeners and, and maybe giving them some information that, that they can actually put into practical use out there. You, you sure. alluded earlier kind of the, the preconceived notion of, of, you know, electronics in the cold. Yeah. And, and, and you also made mention of the fact that, you know, there's been technology that's advanced some of these things in the ice fishing world beyond that. And, and I think it's been proven. But if, if you can share with us just a little bit, whether it's, uh, whether it's a, the lithium shuttle, whether it's the, the, the underwater camera, whether it's your, your auger battery or your drill battery, what is proper care and maintenance, both when you're out on the ice, you know, because of the cold, maybe you're out in 20 below zero uh, fishing in a portable. And then the other side of that would be, would be off season maintenance. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, the batteries are memory free. You know, we've kind of heard that term enter into our, our, uh, um, on the maintenance side with batteries over time, you know, these, these you can charge, um, right after you've used them, whether you've used them for 12 hours or what. Okay. There's no really, um, there's no real issue with them. We like to have them stored in a, in a cool, dry place. Like you would, you, you don't want to keep these batteries, you know, out in the garage. Um, when it's super, super cold out, we always recommend, um, if you have, and, and this is really with any battery. So there really isn't any differences as it relates to you're going on a trip, you've gone to the lake, you're going to stay in the cabin, bring the electronics, bring the, bring the batteries in that you're going to be using the next day, whether you charge them or need to charge them or not. It's a good thing because they're so easy to, to bring in, particularly it's the electronics. Again, it could be a regular sealed lead acid battery or a, or a lithium. Just bring those inside. If you're going to, if you know, it's going to be, you know, 20 below zero, if it's 30 or something like that. It's probably not that big a deal, but pull the batteries off the augers, bring them in, you know, just do that normal, normal maintenance and care. The difference with the lithium battery being stored in the off season is they generally like to be, if we could, if we had our druthers for, for anybody that has one out there, we'd want to have them stored at about 80% capacity, not full. So if, um, you know, on the science side of it, um, I'm not exactly sure uh, why that, why that part is. There's a, another individual I could maybe ask that question as to exactly why, but um, we just know that in the off season or when we store them, let's say uh, on, on the Markham side, if they're going to have batteries that are there over the course of a summer, because we do keep those in stock all year, like we have with the shuttles over the years, we generally kind of maintain those at about the 80% range as opposed to the hundred. They just store better that way. And they and the longevity is uh, over time is better that way. If you don't, it's okay. You know, not zero, not a hundred, but probably better a hundred than zero. 
but if we if we could get, keep you at 80%, that's really where we'd want you to be. Whereas a, as a lead acid battery, those we want to keep topped off at 100. That's a little bit of a difference in terms of how the chemistry chemistries work differently in lithium batteries. But overall, cool dry place, like most things, um, store them at 80%, which is, would just need to be to run the unit a little bit before you store it and turn it off for a few months. And there's really, that's the other best part about this. There's really nothing to that. And the other thing about this from a, from a lifespan perspective, we know the cost of the product is a little bit more than what a lead acid battery was, but the cost of ownership over time goes down so much because these, these batteries are literally going to be warrantied over 2,500 to 2,000 charge cycles. Now, you guys, I know fish a lot, and I fish good to a, maybe above average when, you know, you kind of get that thing, you go a few times and you just keep going because you, you, you love it. Yep. And then we kind of take take off, but guides and people that fish all the time, it takes a long time to charge a battery 500 times. We're talking years and years worth of use compared to a good sealed lead acid battery. You're going to maybe get a couple of years out of it before you spend that extra 25 bucks. And then it's 25 bucks again. And now you, you've already, you've already surpassed that with, with the lithium stuff. So Higher little cost of entry, but way more inexpensive over time. Pretty much no maintenance on them. And, and uh, again, that's why people people love them. As much as we tell ourselves that we're going to really take care of our stuff, we don't. It's just. That's it's the just reality the of it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we like, yeah, read the manual and, you know, charge your batteries up every, every two months and, you know, whatever. It's like. Who does that? I think that that's rare, which is what's nice about some of this stuff too, is that there really isn't as much maintenance to be had and the batteries uh, in particular still run a long, long time. So they're really maintenance free. Yeah, it's, it's great to see the longevity in those products and be able to get your, you know, your return on your investment in those things because they are, you know, like you mentioned, a little bit more expensive, but, you know, we are seeing the longevity in those products. They're not, you know, just falling off and no longer being useful. I mean, they, they last a long time. You mentioned the number of charge cycles. It's not a like they're going to get 500 or 1,000 and stop working. It's just a diminishing return. Like you're going to get 99%, then 98, 97. So, I mean, they're still going to last most users as long as they're going to own that product. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting to see. The super users, the guys, like you mentioned, the guides and people that are out there every day, yeah, they're going to be hard on their gear. But, you know, it's made to – if they can use it and it's withstanding all the abuse that they put on it, you know that it's going to – the average consumer is going to, you know, have that product for a long time. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's just when, when, when the product uh, or the technology has the ability to, to stand on its own two legs where you really don't have to ex- really explain it, somebody to like convince somebody that it's a good thing. And when you have, when you have people that have had the, the great experiences that they have, whether it's with a, a, a product, like we mentioned, the original ions of, of batteries people are using that are nine years old. In the same battery and they're still charging them and they're fine. And we're going on, you know, year, year four plus, you know, with, with the shuttle and there's still folks that are using those from four years ago. If, if you bought the thing and it was twice as much and it, and it ran the same amount of time, it doesn't make sense. Right. Like why wouldn't I just buy this more inexpensive thing? And we, we know what the amount of time, how much time that, that these have been out there that, you know, what's being, what's being told to folks is really what's, what's happening. And then we have, all of us and our peers, you know, telling, telling others that it, it works. And when something just works and you don't really have to do a whole lot of explaining, that's really nice. And it, and it takes a lot of energy and effort and time for the people that 
made all this stuff happen to begin with um, worth it for the rest of us. And, uh, you know, we're benefiting from that. And, you know, who knows what we've always said is the only thing better than a battery was if everything that we had ran on air, because then you'd never have to replace it. <laughs> you know, those of us that sell that do sell things, that's going to get a little bit more difficult, but we're pretty darn close to these things running on air with the way and as good as, as these lithium batteries work. I guess I got one more thing that I wanted to maybe mention or bring up. Um, you know, I'm not an expert and, you know, maybe you don't know too, but there is a big difference within batteries um, when you look at the amp hours, the volts, you know, and the actual power, you know, you see a 40 volt, you see an 80 volt, but they might be different amp hours. Do you, can you kind of maybe explain to the listeners how that relationship correlates? I mean, they're same, essentially the same amount of power. It's just how that battery is configured. Yeah. Rotary girder, you know, how does that work? (laughs) I, yes, there's definitely a a dynamic between, you know, a, a 40 volt, you know, system versus a, you know, like you said, we're talking volts and amps. We start getting into, you know, how do we maximize one versus the other? What, you know, what one is better versus the other on, on the power band, you know, over, over the lifespan of the product, you know, one gives more top end powers over as opposed to, you know, more consistent power over a longer period of time. These are, these are all things that, you know, I won't go down that rabbit hole. We, we will wait. We will, we will have somebody else answer those questions. Um, but as it relates to, to like a, like in our, in our case, if we're looking at a direct replacement battery in particular for a um, piece of electronics, you know, we know that the, the hours of the battery, you know, in general, so if you have a 10 amp hour battery, you know, that doesn't necessarily, we know that a 10 amp hour battery of brand A, B, C, or D are going to all run of the same type of chemistry are all going to run a particular thing that draws so many amps over X amount of period of time. There is consistency into this. What changes it is what the chemistry is. And that's where there's some confusion about this seven and a half amp thing runs this product longer than that seven and a half amp thing. And there's just too much education, I think, that goes into that to explain it on here. But there's a ton of information out there about that um, as it relates to what you want to do to maximize the use. I wouldn't necessarily say that one is ultimately better than the other. But I will say this in terms of lithium chemistry for cold weather use. We definitely see that a lithium iron phosphate cell or a LIFEPO4 cell is more adept at running better in colder conditions than a lithium ion product, in particular if it's directly placed on or near a cold surface, okay? So the trade-off is a a lithium iron phosphate product is a little bit heavier in the same amperage than its lithium ion counterpart, okay? So what you're trading off is, now keep in mind, these are both more than, about half the weight or more than half the weight of what we've had before. So they're both super lightweight, but the but the LifePo4 products for what we do, and I think a lot of the products that are, end up in, in boats, um, that you're seeing some of that migration happen, offer that chemistry. It offer they offer longer charge cycles, and they and they offer better a, a wider range of operating temperatures, and they work better in the cold. And it's why, in particular, on the Markham side, while we put our brute battery inside of our systems because they use that type of chemistry. And I think those are the types of questions that you want to ask as a, as a, as a consumer is, is lightweight more important to me, you know, overall. And in that case, you might want to look at um, ultra lightweight. You might want to look at a product like a mite 
battery on the Markham side where we offer that. If you're looking at something that really kind of maximizes the runtime and cost, but still gives you a lightweight option, we think the more versatile product in general is a Lifepo 4 like the Brute. So it, it's a question that we get a lot. And um, there's like, we talked about this kind of in the middle when we were talking here, the education piece of this. Sometimes it's like, there's so much you don't really need to know. You know, it's just what, what works best for me. I think the last thing I said about cold weather performance in particular with ice fishing, um, going, going the route of a, of a LifePo 4 battery is really the better option. It's why Markham chose to put them in their systems because longer, more, more charge cycles over the life of the battery and better cold weather performance. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I mean, you know, being able to research the products, know those differences, you know, asking the right questions, looking at how you're going to be using that product. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, there's, like you said, there's so many options. Sometimes it can be a little bit daunting or confusing, but, you know, as we've seen these ion products, lithium products um, have really evolved and continue to evolve. And those, those are going to be the differences that we see, you know, as we progress through, through the battery, through the battery's evolution. Yep. And I think another question that I'll kind of answer for, for folks is, the, the biggest questions that we get, particularly on the electronic side, is I have a, you know, uh, Vexlar FLX, uh, FLX20 or 28 or FL20. I have a an FL8. I have a Markham LX3. I have a Humminbird Helix 5. I have a Panoptics product. What are these, how long are these batteries going to run my system? Okay, that's what people really want to know. And there's a really great reference tool on the Markham website. You can certainly find it at all the, all the retailers that gives you this really great table that just shows you here are all the, the great products that are offered by, you know, by all the major electronics companies. Here's the particular battery that you might be looking to get and how long will that product run my, you know, run my unit. And you're definitely going to see about a two to three X pickup in the runtime over a standard battery that would come packaged with the system. So that really right there, you know, when, when you're really looking at what is this going to do for me, it's about how long is this thing going to run my system and how much lighter is it going to be? And we've, and Markham did a really nice job of, of providing that, that information to the consumer saying, Hey, you know what? I might want to get this super lightweight option. This is going to run my machine this, this long. That's the route I want to go. I want to bump up a little bit, get a little extra runtime might be, a little bit heavier, but this is kind of where I want to settle in. So that that tool um, has been really, really great in terms of answering a lot of the questions in particular on the electronic side. So be able to plug in my phone, charge my GoPro, you know, run my yeah. uh, minnow aerator. I mean, it's it's amazing I, the things that you can do with that, the battery. That's what I mean here. I, I've got, you know, you've got USBs, you know, you've got you got lighting on here. You know, obviously we, we want to illuminate the hole. We want to run a GoPro. We have, we've had speakers that have been run. People put speakers behind these things that are, you know, Bluetooth or whatever. The way that people have kind of tricked this thing out to accommodate, you know, what you're talking about has been really kind of fun. Like I said, nobody tinkers with stuff better than ice fishermen. I swear. It's just like we made this deal or that's this company made that product or whatever. And you see it, spun something else and uh it's it's fun to to allow that that creativity and, and when you're spending that much time you know um out there you want to again it's about efficiency and uh 
and re- reducing weight and, and the time that you have. So it's been fun to see these power solutions and the power boxes that are out there too are really fun. People are running the lights and the fans and all this different stuff and, and whatever. Those are great solutions too that we didn't even really talk about is are the power boxes that are out there. And then you can use these batteries that we just got done talking about in those people are making them themselves now and doing all this fun stuff. So anyways, I, like we started this thing off with, I'm just really pumped that we we're going to be getting out on the ice and a lot more places this coming weekend. And, and um, you know, all these products will be out there on display and I'm sure people will be enjoying them. Definitely. Well, we really appreciate your insight, your knowledge, sharing with us, um, you know, all the different transitions that we've seen across the ice fishing as we've progressed and who knows where the future will go. If anybody has any questions for you, is there a great way for them to contact you? Or I know you mentioned uh, some of the references for any of the questions that they might have as well. Yeah, I think the best way to, to reach me in particular would be to would be to just go to any of the um, like I told you guys, we're kind of ghosts as far as who we are in, the, in our industry. <laughs> but you can definitely go to, if you want to learn anything on the ION side of the world, you know, ION ice augers, um, go, to, go there to learn more about that. You know, a lot of times those, those, uh, that information comes back to myself, markhamtech.com, if you want to look at any of that stuff. But there's certainly a lot of other, other great options out there for you to, to explore and, and ultimately they know where to find you guys. So if they, uh, if they want to reach out to you and you want to pass along a question as well, um, I'm always willing to help. Yeah, definitely. We are always in tune with the questions. We can reach out to our, you know, our technical team over on the Eskimo and Ion side. We're always happy to answer those questions. Yeah. If we don't know it, I mean, heck, I might even spend the time and research it myself because I'm always looking to learn more. So Steve, again, thanks for your time. Um, if you're listening, stay tuned. We'll be back with another segment in just a short little bit. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. to our second segment of Shack Talk podcast. And in this segment, we're going to continue what we did last episode, and we're going to dive deep into another popular fish species. Our goal this season is to get through as many fish species as we can and really dissect how we go about finding those fish, catching those fish, learning more about those fish from behavior to techniques on how we catch them. And we thought no one else would be better to bring into this conversation than a guy who lives and breathes walleye fishing, both open water and on, on the ice, and our good friend and fellow Eskimo uh, member and the host of Fish Addictions TV. So we wanted to bring and welcome Mike Olson onto the podcast. Jeez, you start me out with a lot of pressure right off the bat. No, I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we were just chatting about it, but, um, you know, for everyone that's listened to the podcast before, caught Fish Addictions TV on, on the show online, um, you know, what are you doing right now? What are you doing to get ready for the season? Oh, man. Oh, we've been doing just a lot of things to get ready, prepping, putting ice houses together, making sure augers are in good shape, making sure sleds are running. We're not quite there where I want to be driving sleds out on the ice quite yet at this point, but... Basically, just going through the checklist, making sure everything's ready to go, because when that first trip comes, we just want to make sure we're prepared 100% and and uh, take advantage of all the time Mother Nature's going to give us out there. And rumor has it that first show or first venture out on the ice is coming soon? Very soon. Very, very soon. In fact, it's kind of crept up on me just a little bit as I talk about being prepared. As soon as you decide to have that first ice outing, it's like, 
checklist, check. Oh, forgot that checklist, checklist. And for sure we will forget something. I'm guaranteeing it, but hopefully we've got all the essentials. <laughs> a little bit of a scramble is pretty, that's pretty much in the nature of us as anglers, isn't it? You know, we try and be prepared the best we can, but there's always those last minute things. Well, let's be honest. I mean, we, Mother Nature threw us for a loop early. I thought we were going to have early ice. Then it got nice on us again. And then deer hunting came around. And anybody that knows me knows I love the being in the woods just as much as I like being on the ice. And so, yeah, this nice weather's maybe prolonged my deer stand sits more than normal. So I, I, I would say, especially with no ice shows and stuff this year, it was kind of a different feel all the way around, all the way up to first ice. Normally we're talking ice fishing for weeks before the first outing and then this year is just a little bit different but not in a bad way it's all good isn't it hey let's let's jump right into walleyes mike you fish walleyes uh competitively in the summer you obviously you you're a host of fish addictions tv so you're out pursuing them all year during during the hard water season how did you get your start with your passion for chasing walleyes oh man walleyes go back to when i was in diapers uh the first fish I ever chased was walleyes and, and I had a really unique opportunity that most people don't get. My grandfather raised walleyes and we stocked lakes all over Minnesota. So as a young kid, we would go to the fishery, we call it the hatchery where you hatched all the walleyes and stuff. And we got to see the process from the milking of the eggs and the sperm to how the, how they hatched all the way through. So walleyes is kind of one of those things that's been in my blood all the way from as, as long as I can remember. And, and when we'd go on a walleye trip, that was really really special for us and so i mean walleye's always been a fascination for me since since a little kid especially being as hands-on as we were able to as young kids and i think looking at you know just the evolution of where that came from and progressed i mean you grew up in minnesota i mean we're the walleye capital of the world i mean that you kind of almost are you're bred into that when you grow up in this area and you know having some of those lakes around us that we get the opportunity to fish the you know the devil's lake lake of the woods red lake malax leech i mean they're the epic mecca of walleye center um you know where we get to fish i mean yes you got the great lakes and let's not get into that subject because i know where where that subject would dovetail but let's maybe focus a little bit on you know kind of the lakes that we get to fish you know how do we go about in the off season breaking down those lakes looking at the movement of the walleyes you know kind of walk us through what you do through the summer maybe even the spring you know as it leads into fall and then into ice you know, we're very, very fortunate, like you said, to have those fisheries around us where honestly, any technique, anything you want to do could strike gold for walleyes. And, but I think what's really important is as an angler is to use all seasons to your advantage, to, to use the summer season and the fall season in the boat to your advantage as an ice angler, uh, because we're a lot more mobile. We're able to map, we're able to do things that you think of on the ice, I mean, how many times have, have us as ice anglers been on a body of water and been like, man, I should have come this fall and just take, I knew, I know the general area and I kind of know the setup, but if I would have just taken the time to map this out, I would have had this point. I would have found these rock structures. I would have found things that are going to, you know, have a higher percentage of catch rate if we pinpoint and, and find those. So one of the biggest things, if you can, if there's a lake that you fish quite often, you will learn a lot by just spending some time in your boat without a rod in the water. And that's one thing that I tell a lot of people is just, if you get the chance to do that, map it, you know, side scan it, do things that put an advantage to the fishermen. 
It's interesting because I think that cumulative knowledge goes into the success of every next trip that you take, right? It's it's something you carry forward. It's something you add to, you learn from and, and evolve from. So Mike, here's my question. Where we're at right now, we're, we're at first ice for a lot of folks that, that are listening to this podcast. Some are maybe within, you know, days or weeks from safe ice and, and the ability to go out. So if we back up, you know, over the last month here, uh, going in to the next month going forward, that first ice time frame, where do you expect to find walleyes on, you know, in general, on, on a natural lake body of water? What are some of the, the areas you're going to be looking for and, and the areas you're going to concentrate on? Uh, I'm going to concentrate on points right now with structure off the end of it, uh, rock to sand, trans rock, sand, mud transition points. Or, or weed lines that are still present because they haven't kind of deteriorated yet. Uh, but depths of water, if, if you can get safely into a little bit of a current area where bait fish are going to migrate up into those areas. Uh, but mostly on the lakes that we're targeting walleyes on, we're trying to find just idiocracies that these fish are hanging out on, whether it be a rock, whether it be a point, whether it be a weed line. Um, and, and each lake is so different, you know, even depending on water clarity, to, you know, depth of a lake. Uh, you could go fish, let's say Lake Irvin, and you're getting six feet of water and it's just a massive mudflat. But what people don't understand is on a lake like that, the smallest little idiocracy, idiocracy out on that flat is going to make the biggest difference. Uh, if you can find a one-foot contour, you're going to probably have a way higher probability than sitting, you know, just off of it. Uh, and, and people don't, People go out to a somewhere like that, even like our Red Lake, when you know, there's just such small things that make big differences. So don't don't take that out of your train of thought, especially on areas like that. Uh, but right now, if I'm going out, I would like to find points and weed lines, to be honest. And I think finding those contours, you mentioned mapping, um, using the tools that you have. I know using Navionics or any of the lake maps that you can find online, you know, finding those contours, like you said, if you can find a nice sharp break that goes down to a flat, I mean, those are going to be highways or transitions for those fish across any body of water, finding those little variances, like you said, even on Red Lake, where it's a pretty gradual, you know, punch some extra holes, find out where it goes from maybe eight, eight and a half, nine, and then all of a sudden it drops down to 10, 11, like find where those breaks are, find the bottom of it, find the top of it. I know when we got out the last time we were fishing anywhere, you know, I think five, six feet difference from our shallowest holes to our deepest. And we definitely found a highway kind of not necessarily right in the middle, but you know, we started to get some action there. We had a couple tip ups out, they were starting to go off. And so I think finding those areas is, is a really good tip. Yeah. And keep moving. I mean, just because you're not catching them in that depth doesn't mean that they're not, there's isn't something 10, 15, 20 feet away. Uh, you're going to have a way higher success uh, drilling more holes and, and exploring more water. And I think even for the early season too, and maybe you can comment on this, don't be afraid to go shallow. I mean, I know when I talked to the other guys on the fish addiction staff, I mean, they were telling me, go four feet, go five feet. I mean, you think of walleyes, you think deep water, but depending on the body of water that you're on, those fish could be, they're going to be where the food is. Absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing that I think you should remember summer, fall, winter about walleyes is they're predators. They want to eat. So what my grandpa taught me at an early age is you got to think like a fish. Like, why would they be there? Uh, why would the bait be up there? You have to you have to think 
about all those aspects of, of why a fish will be where it's at. You know, they're on points because the bait fish are filtering past the point. They're on inside turns because the bait fish get kind of clogged up in those inside turns. I mean, there's things that things and reasons why these fish are where they are. And I definitely feel like we learn something every time we go out, um, you know, you're like, oh, why was I catching more fish in this hole? Well, it was right next to the break or it was next to the weeds or, you know, finding those differences. You mentioned a little bit the predatory nature of a walleye. For those people that are going out, you know, a lot of people think walleyes early morning, late in the evening. Talk a little bit about that and how you approach that maybe differently early season, late season. I know you mentioned earlier water clarity can play a big role in that. How do you break that down? Uh, you know, times a year, honestly, depend. it all depends on lake again, right? So do your research on the lake that you're on. Uh, if you're on something where water clarity is an issue, you know, early mornings, late nights, those higher fish, those high-rise fish are going to be more active and wanting to eat. But during the midday, fish seem to be tight to the bottom. So maybe... Honestly, it's something where I probably I'm more aggressive and then I switch to some once you get them tuned up a little bit, I switch to something just a little less aggressive with some meat or something like that on it with a minnow head. It sometimes it takes a really aggressive bait just to get them moving. And then the, a lot of times they won't hit that in the midday lull, but then you switch it up and, and you usually have success with something a little bit more timid. So, Mike, just a, a question, because you hit on something there that I think is important that a lot of walleye anglers overlook. And talk about those that are higher in the water column. You, you fish your body like like a Devil's Lake, a Lake Winnipeg, and, and it's common to see marks. Are they walleyes? And how do you target those? So, yeah, I mean, if you're ever looking at your electronics and you see a mark five, six, seven, if you're fishing 20 feet of water, even five, six feet under the ice, always, I mean, my my biggest piece of advice is always assume it's a walleye. Bring it up, fish it like a walleye, and nine times out of ten, it's going to be first off your bigger walleyes and your more aggressive walleyes, and they're not going to hesitate. They're up there for one reason, they eat. When you see a walleye high, they're up there to eat. They feed up all the time. So you see a mark high, you better be fishing it. That's great That's advice. Definitely, yeah, great advice. And I know to kind of tail off of that a little bit, one mistake that I think a lot of walleye anglers make, um, you know, maybe they're used to fishing panfish or different things is, you know, they finesse those walleyes. As you mentioned, walleyes feed up, be aggressive, fish high. I mean, even if I'm fishing in eight feet of water, I'm fishing two feet off the bottom. Those fish are going to feed up. And until you know what the mood of those fish is, you don't really know how to kind of approach them. But you, like you mentioned, start aggressive and, and work from there. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a mud bottom, I always I always think the first thing I do is drop down and I pound the bottom five, six, seven times. And I probably do that every five minutes or so just to stir things up and get things active. But yeah, those fish are feeding up all the time. A, a lot of times, even when I'm setting bobber rigs or something like that, it's two, three, four feet off the bottom, depending on, on where I think that, that target zone will be that day where we vary it. But yeah, those fish always feed up. I mean, not that they're not going to pin it to the bottom, but more cases than not feeding up and, and working that lure aggressively upwards is always going to trigger that bite. Okay. With that comment, I think that's, that's great insight. What determines for you, Mike, whether you're going to choose live bait, artificial, or a combination of the two? 
you know, I'm lucky enough to fish with a lot of buddies. Most of the time we go fishing. So we all kind of vary a little bit to start the day. You know, we got guys on uh, fish with us that love the art of total artificial. We got guys that love a little bit of meat and we got guys that love to be sporty and go really small. So a lot of times what it is, if you're three, four, five guys out fishing, vary it up between you guys a little bit and, and you can figure it out a lot faster. Uh, some days you don't need to use any live bait. And on those days, it's game on. Why why screw around with live bait if you don't need it? So I, that's that's how we do it most of the time. Most of the time, if I'm out by myself, I'm probably going to start with a spoon that's got a little more action, throw you know a little bit more water that throws out and, and vibrations uh, with a piece of minnow head on it just because it's kind of a nice middle ground. Uh, but on the days that you don't need all that, that's a lot of fun. What are some other options? I know you mentioned a spoon, you know, what are you talking about? You know, maybe you break down aggressive baits, maybe you're kind of more subtle. And then obviously you've got your live bait rigs or, you know, your set lines. How would you kind of choose and kind of walk us through those three different presentations? So the way I like to really do it is obviously in most places, you're allowed a minimum of two rods on the ice. So and I don't do it enough, but I, I like to have a dead stick. Why not have a dead stick three, four, five feet away from where you're at? Or if you're in a house on one end to the other, because it kind of lets you cover two aspects in one and at, at the same time. So if you've got a dead stick, it doesn't hurt to have a loud rattle bait, a, you know, war pig or something to that matter. That's got a lot of vibration, a lot of sound really disturbs a lot of water at the very least, it's going to get attention from fish from far away. Uh, and if those fish are coming in, a lot of times what will happen, if they just really aren't quite in the mood for that, they'll come in, look at it, maybe come up once or twice at it, and, and really shy away. But most of the time, they don't leave. They kind of sink down to the bottom. So that's when I would have a spoon ready with with a minnow head or, or a full minnow or a minnow hooked on a tail and drop it down there and and aggressive, I would start a little bit aggressively because we already got their attention with a really aggressive presentation and then drop that down a jig a little bit aggressively, see how it works. A lot of times they'll come up. If not, if they don't react you know, with electronics with, with what we have today, we can pretty much tell exactly how that mood, the mood of that fish is. So we can adjust fairly easily on the fly. Now you've already got that plain hook and a minnow on a bobber or a snare rod or something of that order. So you're already covering all those aspects really fast. But in most cases, just downsize, but don't change it up too much because you kind of got that attention of that fish. So if you if you throw something down, I wouldn't go to something and just slowly wiggle it. I would still give it some good jigs and see how it reacts. And then downsize from there or, or less less jigging from there because, you know, when you put a spoon and a minnow head on, there's so many cadences that you can do with that that you could really play with that all day long. But I would start aggressively and work your way down from there. Great information. Mike, so one more thing. Let's just walk through the ice season. We talked a lot about location here, early season, first ice, you know, that first month or so of the season. But as things progress into winter, snow cover gets heavier, weeds are dying off, uh, a lot of times you see the oxygen levels in certain parts of the lake start to diminish. What are your tactics in terms of finding those walleyes as the season progresses? I think you hit it right on the head there where, you know, oxygen levels drop. So we want to, what, what provides oxygen to a lake? Some, some current, some flowing water. As ice conditions get better and you can get into those areas, the fish are going to start gathering there. And why are they gathering there? We go back to the bait fish. The bait fish are going to gather over in that area. So wherever there's food, you're going to find walleye. So personally, I like to find where there's current, where there's, you know, any, where the oxygen's high and the bait's plentiful. 
Nice. And talking a little bit about current too, I mean, you know, a lot of people think current, they're going to think a river coming in or a creek or some sort of discharge, but there's current in a lot of the, even the bigger lakes that we fish. I know Lake of the Woods, there's current that runs up into the islands and different things or Devil's Lake, you've got natural current from, you know, the inflow on those things. So how do you find those current type areas if you're not on a lake or a body of water that maybe doesn't have something that's as obvious as a river or a creek coming in? Um, you know, you got to kind of look at the structure of the lake. Uh, Devil's Lake is more of a wind-drawn current type thing where in the winter, believe it or not, it still has some of those currents. That's why the bridges and all that kind of stuff stay open. But for the most part in the wintertime, uh, it could be late ice when water's seeping through the ice or, you know, current areas mostly for the river. And, and honestly, those lakes that uh, have current in them, local people will tell you best. Yeah, and I think finding, like you mentioned earlier too, those key points of structure, you know, a point sticking out, there could be a little bit of lake current coming off of that or a hump or different things, um, you know, as that season progresses and, and moves deeper. What um, What is the one go-to bait that's kind of that first one that you'll have tied on when you're going to fish walleyes? Oh, I, I think it's been about 10, 12 years, the buckshot. I just can't, the rattling buckshot, I can't take it off. I don't know why that thing is an absolute catcher. <laughs> it's tried, it's true, and, and it works. Exactly, every single time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can, you can fish it multiple ways. I mean, you can fish it really aggressive. It's got the rattles, you can slow it down, and it's a little bit more subtle. So I think, as you alluded to before, it's just knowing how to read those fish and being able to be adapt to how that fish is reacting under the ice. Well, and the one thing a lot of guys don't do, I think, in walleye fishing is they don't trust their electronics as much as they probably should. And over the last five, six, seven years, that's something I've worked on really hard is just to trust what you see. Uh, you go somewhere and you're not seeing fish, they're not there, you know, and especially with the electronics we have now with live scope and pan optics and stuff like that, like you don't see them, they're not there. So you can fish all day long, but if there is no fish there, good luck. Really nowadays, especially with what we have, in in our electronic arsenals that if they're not there you're not going to catch them so go find them go find them and i would go back mike to uh to the comment you made a minute ago and tapping into the resource of folks who are familiar with the body of water if if we're not familiar just that local person that's that you run into at a bait store or check it with the local bait store owner or uh or even hire a guide Every, everywhere we go, Kyle, every bait shop we walk into, that's one of the first questions we ask the people behind the counter because bait shop banter, right? I mean, they're in there, they're hearing everything, and you never know what they're going to tell you, but it might be that key to having a successful day on the ice. So keep those ears open, listen to what those guys got to say, because if you stand there long enough, someone's going to ask them how are the fish bite and where are they at, and most of the time they're happy to answer you too if you ask them. Yeah, there's some great people out there in the, in the world in different roles in the industry and those bait shop owners, those local folks, local guides, they're just an incredible resource. Absolutely. One that probably gets overlooked more than ever with the internet age. That is for sure. Mike, do you have any other tips for folks? Uh, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing the fishing world, the, the fishing participation grow in many cases because of or as a result of the pandemic. We're seeing a lot more new anglers on the ice this season. What's your advice for those folks who are, you know, maybe they've never chased walleyes before, but they want to give it a try. They've, they've seen you catch them on TV and, and, and they want to do that. What, what's, give us a couple of tips or advice for those individuals. 
Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is, as new people getting into the sport is be patient and learn from every outing. Uh, we, you're not going to be successful every time. We're not successful as a TV host. I'm not successful every single time I hit the ice. So don't, don't get yourself down. Uh, go out there and learn from every outing because that's what we've done for many, many, many years, and, and that's how we can catch fish now. Uh, and, and rely on people around you, friends, relatives, bait shops. The Internet's a great source. You know, there's more people out there that are willing to help than, than a guy thinks. And what we all want to see is this sport grow. So you have questions, ask us. I'm always willing to answer questions to the best that I, best of my knowledge. I may not know the body of water that you're going to fish, but I can probably, you know, take a look at a map and, and give you a few, few areas where I would start, you know. And take a look at those things. Look at humps. Look at if there's rock transitions, if there's old weed lines, if there's current coming in. And just utilize that to the best of your ability with, with the resources you have. You don't need to have a live scope out on the ice to, to be a successful fisherman. They've been doing it for years with nothing and just a bobber. Go out there, have fun, build your arsenal from your experiences, and it'll be all. it's going to be fun because if you catch fish or not, it's all about having fun. That is just, that's fantastic advice. Whether it's walleyes or any species, Mike, that's just great, great advice from someone who's, who's been there and done that and learned over the years. So I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, if folks do have questions, if uh, folks are looking to, to follow you and track what you're doing, learn from you, learn from, from the outings you televise, how can people that, that may not be familiar with you and, and your show find you and uh, find where you're going out there on the ice this winter? Yeah, you can, I think we're going into season seven of Fish Addictions TV. You can find all of it on YouTube at Fish Addictions TV. We have Facebook, we have, oh, Instagram. I think we've got it all. So if you search us, we'll be there somehow, some way. But, and, and always reach out to us, uh, send us a message. We may not get back to you right away, but we'll get back to you in a timely manner. And we try to help everybody out as much as we can. And I would, I would, um, I would certainly endorse that for folks to reach out because I know you do your best to respond to people, and and you're a great resource for a lot of folks out there as well, and and you're very well connected. We appreciate you spending some time with us today, Mike, and uh, wish you all the best here as we uh, go into the the Christmas season, and and certainly kicking off the start of the ice season as well. Absolutely, thanks for having me, guys. It's always a blast. Stick around, folks. We're going to take a really quick break, and we're going to be back with our last segment of Shack Talk Podcast. Welcome back to Shack Talk, and we are here after that quick break. We are going to be uh, jumping right into our social fish dancing segment. And those of you who have followed along this season, you know that this is kind of the segment where we really open the discussion up. We bring in a guest. We just talk fishing. And really, in 2020, so many of us have missed out on those, whether it's in the summer, those boat talks, you know, hanging out with buddies and, and just talking fishing. Uh, going into winter now, I, I know that we're still in, in that same sort of mode. And... This is just a chance to talk fishing and, and kind of get to know our, our guests a little bit and, and find out what they enjoy doing and what brings passion to their uh, experience out on the ice. So we want to welcome Theo Tolliver. He's a member of the Eskimo Pro Team, and uh, great to have you here, Theo. Um, welcome to Shack Talk. Well, thanks for having me on. I uh, always listen to you guys, and yeah, it's awesome to have you guys on. So I'm going to be on the show. So. <laughs> 
let's just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Give us the real basics, kind of what brought you to your, your passion of the outdoors and ice fishing. Um, yeah, so let's just bring it back way back. Um, I mean, like, like, like most of us, I mean, we started fishing with button poles. Like I remember my very first fishing, I was, a, was, a, was a Smurf fishing pole. It was a little blue one I had. And I saw pictures of me sitting at one of the local ponds where I'm from. from. Um, so originally I'm from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. I know total stretch from where I'm at now. You, you did a lot of uh, ice fishing out there in Nevada? Ooh, ice in my cup since it was so hot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, you know, I grew up with uh, fishing for bass, catfish, and all kinds of stuff like that. And um, I didn't have, you know, a whole lot of outdoors around me. Just kind of like, uh, you know, my, my dad would take me to, like, he went, you know, played softball. And, like, on all the parks that he played softball, I had these little stock ponds. And I was like, hey, cool. I get to go watch my dad play softball and go catch some, like, cat, trout or bass or catfish in the pond. Just messing around, you know. And then occasionally he would take me up to Utah and I had a family cabin that we had or a family friend cabin. We always went up there twice a year uh, up in uh, Utah, Southern Utah. It's called Zion National, Zion uh, Canyon, Zion National Park. It's pretty popular down there. And there's a little, little area called Kola Reservoir. And that's where I learned how to, you know, that's where we fish for trout and just had a good time camping. And then on top of that, I always, you know, read like Field and Stream magazine growing up. You know, I've always seen you guys up here catching a walleye pike and pheasant hunting, whitetail hunting. I, I didn't have that stuff around me, but I, it's weird that I retained a lot of the information reading that stuff. You know, it's, it's weird. So um, when I was 18, I joined the military, the United States Air Force, uh, which brought me to Minot, North Dakota back in 2001. Uh, yeah, showing my age a bit here. So, <laughs> so um, and then when I got to Minot, I really finally, when I got all my gear up here for my dad and stuff, that's when I was really starting to figure out like how great North Dakota is for, uh, you know, outdoor resources. Great. You know, uh, being in Minot, it's kind of middle of nowhere, but in that sense, I can go an hour in any direction and there's fishing and hunting everywhere. So it's, it's awesome. After that, uh, 2005 left to Korea for a year. I uh, went back home to Las Vegas, Nevada for uh, about four years. I was like, well, I would say I was there for four years. I wasn't there that much. Cause that's when kind of like in the height of the war. So I was kind of deployed a lot and moving around and, going different places around the world and then i uh, decided to come back to minor north dakota about 2010 and then that's when i, I would say that's really when i started getting it really back in, into ice fishing and really kind of taking it off and kind of fell into where i am now just enjoying it outdoors so <laughs> for our listeners that maybe don't get out ice fishing or don't get out off, often um or maybe haven't even been ice fishing before tell us about your first experience walking <laughs> on water you know, my first experience, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't have anything. I had some my military boots. Uh, I had some my Gore-Tex gear they gave me. They gave us great winter gear, so that's what I used. Um, of course, I almost, you know, busted my butt because I had no pleats, lesson number one. So, <laughs> so um, and then I, mem- I remember specifically because the first time I went on, vehicles were driving on, and this vehicle drove by our shack, and it, it was cracking sound. It, it said this thing, doo-doo-doo. You know, so I really was like, oh, what was that? I just kind of stopped breathing for a hot second. I'm like, oh, God, this is it. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and the, the group of guys that I went with, they're, they're long gone across the United States somewhere. Um, uh, it was an okay experience. I didn't, we didn't catch anything. I really didn't know what was going on. It was just, I drilled a hole, I sat here, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um, so the ne- my next time I went out, which I think was like the following year, um, actually went out somebody I had experience and it made a world of a difference. Um, we caught fish, 
uh, I was warm. I had the proper gear. I was explaining like what this was going to going on. And now I'm like, Oh wow, this is, this is awesome. I, I, I really like this. I, I, and ever since then, I just can't wait for ice. So. <laughs> Theo, and, and I gotta, I gotta just take it back even, even a little bit further than that first experience ice fishing, because so often when someone who's grown up and what they know is, is a warm climate, it's, it's such a different experience. Right. And I know you, you had Absolutely. mentioned you read some of the outdoor magazines and books and stuff. And so that maybe prepared you for that. Uh, but, you know, growing up, people might think of Nevada and Las Vegas as not necessarily an outdoor destination, but truly, once you get outside of the city of, of Las Vegas, there's incredible outdoor opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Lake Mead, um, which is part of, it's like, you see, everybody sees Hoover Dam, but they're like, oh, is this part of Colorado River? Well, there's a reservoir, it's kind of like Skakawea, you know, it's like, it has the, the, the Colorado River, and then it's backed up in our huge man-made lake called Lake Mead, uh, which is has great, great, great bass fishing out there. Large mouth, small mouth, uh, striper fishing, catfish, uh, an occasional, you know, bluegill. And actually, I remember growing up one time, this guy actually called an alligator in there. I don't know. It might have been a pet. Anyways, it was a baby one. I think that somebody released it, you know. It's Vegas. People buy weird stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, so. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's funny. So, when you said, you know, it kind of prepared me. I wouldn't say prepared me, but it was always something that it piqued my curiosity, like fishing on the ice. It's, totally unfathomable. I mean, it's like in your head, you're like, I don't know, like, how do I do it? Because it doesn't get below 30, like, it might get like 32 degrees in Vegas. It might, you know? Um, so I, I really had no idea. I was like, oh, that seems pretty cool. I'm not sure at the time. I was like, oh, that's too, too cold for me. But once I got up here, acclimated for about a year, and I'm like, yeah, now I understand why they do it, you know? So. <laughs> and now at 32 degrees here in North Dakota, you're thinking, man, we're taking the jackets off. We're going to be outside uh, <laughs> dancing on the ice and fishing outdoors, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. So I, I say that, you know, I, I do still interact with a lot of airmen that are on base, the young airmen to come through. First time, first time, you know, uh, being in North Dakota. And like, I, was, I tell them, like, they're like, it's freezing cold out. I'm like, it's only 50 degrees outside, guys. Like, you're just, yeah, it's like, come talk to me in any year when it's 30 degrees outside and you're like, you know, hoodie, shorts, flip flops, or Crocs, whatever it is. I promise you, it's weird. It's just a weird thing. Everybody goes through it. So. <laughs> So you've acclimated to the climate now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like 32 degrees after what? Well, there's always that initial shock, right? From fall to, you know, winter time, there's always that initial shock. But like, um, but after that, like right now, like it was, I'm like, hey, this isn't too bad outside. Like we should get colder. We need more ice, you know? So <laughs> speaking of that, how is the ice out there in uh, Western North Dakota? Uh, do you have safe <laughs> ice? Do you have fishable ice? Uh, we do have some fishable ice. Um, it varies from lake to lake. You know, it's uh, so Lake Lake Audubon right now has uh, plenty of ice, uh, just like in the bays and stuff. Back in the bays, you know, uh, anywhere from you know six to eight inches of ice. I've, I've heard reports of ten inches of ice some some places. You know, and there's still a lot of open water with that too. Uh, most of Lake Sakakwe is wide open. Like it's funny because when you, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been down, like basically driving from Minot south to Bismarck, eighty three across. You hit to a point where on the west side is Lake Sakakwe, and on your left side. East side is Lake Audubon. You go drive right over it. I mean, you drive right over it. In fact, I just did this the other day when I had to deliver a vehicle. Lake Audubon's fro completely frozen up. When you look over to your right, Lake Skakwea is completely wide. It's just wide open. It's just it's strange. But yeah, we do have some like smaller pothole lakes like, um, that are closed, you know, heading out east that are that are locked up. The Turtle Mountains, I, I hear dudes out there are uh, side by side, 11, 12 inches of ice up there. Uh, but for the most part, the bays are starting to get locked up a little bit, but it seems to be a lot warmer than it has been lately. So it's been kind of, kind of different. So 
But for fishing for me wise, uh, I still have to, I do have a bone to pick with Anthony. You can go ahead. Yeah, Anthony, you can let me kind of chew. So uh, me and a couple of guys from uh, Fish Addictions, uh, Josh Krejci and uh, Jim Richter, who met up at uh, Lake Irvin. And let's just say that we fished all day with maybe like two fish. (laughs) Anthony didn't share the secret spot. (laughs) Yeah, don't fish yesterday's intel. <laughs> and I went out. It's funny. So I went out there the day, like you know, you guys, um, you guys put, just put the hurting on the fish. I think it's you, Chris, and I'm not sure who else is out with you guys. But we went out there. Me and my wife. I, I think I got out there just a little late, but we wind up getting to a spot. We actually caught a couple fish, but it was just like, man, I don't know, an hour and a half for this. I can go somewhere else closer to my, you know, my area to do the same thing. So either way, it was a new lake for me. I caught fish on it, so it was minor success. So deal up. Just, just because it's been a common kind of theme, we've we've asked all of our our guests, you know, in in this segment, twenty twenty has been a really strange year for for so many of us with the pandemic, and and just in terms of your outdoor and endeavors, how has it affected you this this year? Have you found the ability to get out more or less? Um, just share with us what your thoughts are on that. You know, from my outdoor experience is actually. Um, it's almost like, let's just take camping for instance, this year, this summer, normally it's pretty easy. Cause like we don't have a camper. We, me and my wife, we prefer to, you know, to tend camping, you know, just kind of keep it, you know, simple. Um, it was tough to find a camping spot this year because nobody could leave. And so everybody's buying all these new campers and taking up the spot. There was, it was almost in the book. You had to go find a spot three months in advance just to go tent camp. Even at a primitive, it was getting kind of ridiculous with that. Um, some fishing gear, it, it was weird because you couldn't find certain fishing gear. Like it was just like, what's going on here? Like, is everybody starting to fish now? Which is cool, I guess. You know, it was great for us in the outdoor industry because it just builds our sport more. But at the same time, it's like, this is really weird. Like, I don't know what's kind of going on here, but all right. Um, but for the most part, um, it did actually, it did affect my, my hunting uh, this year. Because um, normally, I mean, like uh, rifle season in North Dakota, we're all pushing. Everybody's wearing, get the orange army out there. We're all pushing heavy brush, kicking deer out or anything like that. Um, but this year, um, right when that season happened, when it kicked off here in early, like mid-November, uh, I had COVID. My family and myself, we had COVID. So we couldn't be with the rest of our family to, to hunt. But we still managed actually to push together, but we were kind of far apart from each other. They were like probably like in a half mile from us pushing, and we were pushing another area. And it actually panned out because my stepson actually took a, a really nice buck. I think it scored like 140, 142 or something like that. That's awesome. That yeah. So it kind of like, you know, in that aspect, you know, because, you know, hunting, we all get together and hang out and talk stories, help each other clean the deer and process the deer. That's kind of, and that aspect is kind of limited for us, which kind of, kind of sucks because it's been a, you know, it's a family tradition around here, like many other people in the, in the Midwest, you know, so. How do you see that progressing this winter? And as we go into ice and the ice fishing season, do you think, think we're going to see continued kind of um, influence with that and, and people not being able to get together you know, we've had those discussions, and I think in a lot of ways it's going to drive more people, like like camping, it'll drive more people out into the ice because it's something we can do to get ourselves outdoors. What's your prediction for this season? You know, my prediction, we're going to see a lot more people on the ice. Um, I'm already seeing throughout the forums a lot of new new people fishing, a lot of new people doing this. Uh, this, this even compared to last year, of course you see, hey, a couple first-timers, but it's like every day, every few hours, somebody posts, hey, it's my first time out. You know, even I'm getting questions, you know, people, hey, my first time out, what do I do? Um, if I happen to go in a sporting goods store, like I, you know, I went to the, the, the Shields the other day and like every time I go into Shields, there's always, I see new people asking questions. So I, I go and help them. I don't work there. I should work there, honestly. But anyways, <laughs> I, I go, I go help them out, uh, point them in the right direction. I've done that quite a few different times, you know, this year. 
So just on that prediction alone, I think we're going to see a lot more people in the ice. Um, social distancing, hopefully they do it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But it seems like we're going to have a lot more people on the ice, which is great for ice fishing because it just grows more and creates more opportunity for, for everybody, really. So. I know you mentioned when you were talking about your first time out on the ice, it wasn't as good as when you went with somebody that knew what they were doing. Obviously that's great advice, you know, go with somebody that knows what they're doing. Do you have any other advice for somebody that's maybe just getting into the sport? What would you kind of suggest they do um, getting started? You know, um, I think beyond, I think really the first one I think is just definitely go with somebody that has experience. Even if you have to pay a guide, they kind of at least get you in the right direction or just reach out there and just be like, Hey, look guys, this is my first time out. I'm not looking for spots. I just want the experience and you need to know what I'm doing. Uh, I really think that's very, very important. Ask questions. Always ask questions. No questions are dumb questions, especially when it comes to ice safety. I think that's like number one thing is ice safety because if you haven't been ice fishing, you just assume you can just walk on any type of ice. Oh, I see people do it, you know, but there's more to this walking out in the ice, you know, and what to look for. So I think safety is, is like the number one thing. Somebody needs to research and study. And like I said, that kind of co- goes along with going with somebody with that experience. Because like I said, if I didn't know, you know, like what to like what to look for or anything like that, just going out there really nearly by myself, I could put myself in a whole lot of danger. And there's certain areas that I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to try this area. But, you know, in retrospect, it's a good thing I didn't because, it's, you know, certain areas are just notorious for thin ice and even throughout the whole year. And um, without, you know, having that experience with somebody else with me, it, it could have been bad. But knowing what I know now, I'm, I'm glad I went that route even though my first experience was a bad experience, but I gave it a second shot. So that's great advice too. If you, if you don't succeed the first time, you know, not everybody does. I mean, when we go out, I don't know how many times yourself, myself, Kyle, we've gone out to a new lake or a new experience and you know, you strike out, it happens. It's fishing. That's why it's uh, challenging and why we come back for more. Oh yeah, for sure. It's hard (laughs) to get over that, that little kind of confidence thing, right? Because on social media, we don't, oftentimes see folks taking a picture of just them standing there by themselves with no fish because they had a bad day right we only see the, <laughs> right, we only right. see the successes and uh but well, truth- if you follow anybody that fishes you see the sunset picture and then you know that it's <laughs> probably a failure there is that. yeah it's, fun. it's funny like i i put out a video uh like one of my like first uh, one of my ice fishing videos where i caught absolutely nothing i was just doing whatever and i put it out there i, I debated about it because i'm like you know i'm just gonna put it out there i'm just because everybody thinks like i'm like i catch fish all the time which is not the case you know but i put it out there and the guy was like he didn't catch anything i'm like yeah i'm telling you it's not you know it's not all sunshine and rainbows like we all want it to be you know it's there's days where we're grinding 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 there's days where i just come up with a blank you know and so and it's good to know and recognize those days are part of the sport too Oh yeah, absolutely. If you went in like, yeah, I'm gonna always catch fish every single time and you go three trips in a row without catching anything, you're just gonna sell all your ice gear. <laughs> well, and, and Theo, you know what, what came to my mind was, as you're saying that is I was following along this fall as, as you were learning about archery hunting. Oh, right. Oh, and, and there's so many similarities because yes. you don't go out every time with the bow and go to, go to your stand and have success. I mean, there's a lot of patience. Right, yeah. My my boat hunting experience this year, I, I still have yet to fill that tag. And it's becoming it's oh man. It's been a wild, wild ride. I learned a ton. Don't get me wrong, I learned a lot what not to do, what to do. Definitely a more lot what not to do, you know. Um, you know, like first my first time going out, I was out of my stand checking my camera every couple of days. Everybody's like, What are you doing, man? I'm like, what? I'm like, 
they're like, you're putting a cent all over. I'm like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I invested into a, a cellular cam, you know, which keeps, which is awesome because it keeps it from going out there. Like, you know, you know, landowners, that's a huge issue for, you know, I mean, for me lately, this is the landowners, you know? Um, but I have, I've had, I had backup plans and backup plans where I know my buddy's like, Hey, I can come out and hunt, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go out, do it myself and learn and, you know, get permission from the landowners, go set up my cameras, my blind and do all my research and pattern a deer, you know? And I, and I had that happen. And then the moose came in and then the moose threw everything off. So, you know, and then I had a, you know, a weird instance where the cops were called on me because a lady had no idea what she was doing. I was just like, she didn't know who I was. And so she just called the cops on me. I'm like, Oh, this is like this. This is it. I'm like, all right. And then I went up. Actually, got time to go sit in the stand, and no deer came through. A couple times it came through. They just weren't in range. And watched. I seen, you know, before I got the boot from my land that I was on, I actually got a glimpse of the big buck that I was watching. You know, but he just kind of he was going. He was just going. He had. He looked at me. He was like, yeah, whatever, and just kept going. And I was like, oh man, that's him. And then. You know, that same day, I think later on in the day, that's when I got the boot from the land. I'm like, man, what's going on? And then so set up a new areas. And then just, I learned that you just have to, like, my biggest thing right now is I have to start way earlier than I did. Way earlier than I did. I'm already trying to figure out where I want to hunt next year and stuff like that. But hopefully, I mean, this weekend, I, I should, I hopefully will fill a tag, you know, a bow tag. I don't care. If it's, I, I just want something to walk in front of me. As long as it's not a fawn, I just want something to walk in front of me. Yeah. And, that, and that's pretty much where I'm at and where I'm at with that right now. So, and then what's it's really bad is because I, like I said, you don't expect you're going to be, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome, this, this, and this, and it, it's, it's going to be success. It has not been that way for me. So, and now it's rolling the ice fishing season. Now I got weird dilemmas where it's like, oh, it's great weather. Oh, what do I want to do? Ice fishing or hunting? And it's like, ugh, big, big problem for me right now. So, but I, but. I really think there's lessons in that, Theo, because a lot of your experiences with with bow hunting as someone new to that sport are going to be really similar to someone brand new to ice fishing. You know, no, absolutely. There's a lot of lessons learned, you know. Um, you know, like like you said, my cleat, let's just take, for instance, like my first time ice fishing, I didn't wear cleats. Like, you know, you might, hey, you might want to do that next, you know, next time, you know. And well, out there bow hunting, hey, you might want to, you know, leave, I always, when I, for, for whatever reason, every time I left, I, I was leaving my, my blind a different way every time I left, you know, I didn't really know. I was like, oh, this is a good view over here. Oh, maybe this will be a good view over here where, you need to leave it blind exactly how you leave it. Just leave it there. Don't touch it, you know, type of thing, you know? No, definitely great lessons. Uh, kind of looking back to, you mentioned, um, you know, you put out a video talking about how you didn't catch fish. For the video that you mentioned, how can people follow you, um, you know, follow what you're doing, follow your endeavors? I know myself and Kyle, we follow what you're doing. How can people follow you and uh, where can they find you out there on on the internet? Yeah, on the internet, you guys can find me on Instagram at guy 82 on Instagram, which I, I probably should change that because it's it, it kind of derived from my personal account. Um, canine guy too, it, it kind of derived from my uh, my canine days in military, so I kind of left it there. But I think I should probably change that. Anyways, so canine guy eighty two on Instagram, uh, on YouTube and Facebook, Theo Tolliver Fishing. I usually coincide with those things. Video, I post videos on both small clips. You know, tips. You know how to you know use our North Dakota resources and stuff like there. And then if you can. I don't, if my friend list isn't full, you can just, you know, Theopolis Tolliver on Facebook. You guys send me a firm request and usually I'm pretty good and chat it up with you guys. So, and if you guys had, I, if it's, I tell everybody any questions, hit me up, you know, I'm, I'm, I give you whatever I have, you know, so set my fishing spots. Well, actually I'll give you my GPS coordinates and see what happens, but you know, <laughs> GPS spots are only as good as the time when you were there last time. 
Yeah. Uh huh. Remember that? Yeah. Why, why are you laughing, Anthony? Because uh, you know. <laughs> it's true. I've had it happen to me. <laughs> Before we end up uh, wrapping this segment up, Theo, I got, I got a, just a couple of quick questions to throw at you. Yeah. Favorite body of water to fish through the ice? Favorite body of water to fish through the ice? Oh, man. You know, honestly, it would have to be Lake Winnipeg. I don't know what it is about that place. It's just, yeah, see that one up there? That's a Lake Winnipeg walleye right up there. So, <laughs> there's a whole thing around it. Like your, your big baits. There's almost like even the lures have its own like kind of cult thing. Like, Hey, who'd you get your baits from? Oh, these are custom made this custom made that, you know, who shout out to DH customs down in Bismarck. He does all my baits down there. You know, I have a specific tackle box for Lake Winnipeg. It doesn't get touched, but let's go to Lake Winnipeg, you know? Um, and this, when everybody gets up, there's big groups. We all meet each other up there. Chances are you go up there, you're going to know somebody, you're going to know somebody up there because everybody's all up there at the same time, you know? And, and I met a, have a, Great bunch of friends up there. Our Eskimo, our Eskimo crew up there, Eric and, you know, everybody else up there are great guys. So through the ice, that would definitely be at Lake Winnipeg. That's cool. How about favorite fish? Favorite fish. Well, I'm going to, you know, it's honestly a toss-up between walleye, walleye and crappie. Because anytime I get a chance to fish crappie, I absolutely love it, especially when I'm with the fish. I'm not great at crappie fishing, but I love catching them when I do. Um, but then, of course, walleye. I'm always chasing that walleye, trying to find a good bite, trying to find that big walleye, so for sure. And where to next? I know you mentioned you got out on Urban. Where do you think you'll end up uh, next uh, when you get out? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to try, you know, man, I don't know. It's either back in one of the bays on Audubon or possibly um, one of those sloughs, you know, in the east. I'm not say which one, but, you know, there's one of the many sloughs out east, try chasing perch or something like that, so. Awesome. Well, Theo, thanks for joining us. Um, listeners, if you have any questions for Theo, you know, as he mentioned, reach out to him, reach out to Kyle or myself, and we can put you in contact with them. If you have any questions for us, Kyle or myself, reach out to us personally um, on the Brewer Agri page, Fish Addictions page, or the Eskimo page. We're always happy to answer those questions. Um, so th again, thanks for listening, Theo. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. We'll talk to you next time. And until then, be safe, distance socially, and get out fishing. Thank <laughs> you.